0: the United Methodist Church, beginning to catch a glimpse of who we are to become by God's grace. And we are a mixed bag for sure. In fact, Bishop Schnasey pointed out this past summer at annual conference that our conference, the Rio Texas Conference, is quite diverse, ethnically for sure. In fact, he said, we are perfectly poised to learn about and engage in multicultural ministry he said in fact a lot of people all around the country would be watching us hoping to learn from the way that we engage in ministry in our context so he's really hoping that we get this right it's important adam hamilton was our guest speaker this past summer that was great But he started out by giving us some fairly stark statistics about the church in the United States, the United Methodist Church in the United States. He pointed out what most of us are aware of. Our members are dying. It's a fact. We are an aging congregation. The United Methodist Church is currently the third largest denomination in our country, following the Roman Catholic Church and the Southern Baptist Church. Though currently, the Southern Baptist Church is declining faster than we are. Regarding attendance, there used to be the mindset that faithful attendance in worship was to be here at least three Sundays a month. Now, average attendance is 1.75 Sundays per month. But Adam Hamilton pointed out that at least at his church, the Church of the Resurrection, most people will still say, They're in church every single Sunday. So regular attendance is conceived of as very different, and it's much less frequent than it used to be. Also, there's been a lot of growth in recent years among the spiritual but not religious category and among the nuns. Those are the people who no longer affiliate themselves with any religious organization, though they were likely raised in one. And it doesn't mean necessarily that they don't have faith through spirituality, it just means that they are exploring spirituality and experiencing that outside the church. The United Methodist Church, from 2014 to 2015, declined by 80,000 people per Sunday. That would be like our conference, the Rio Texas Conference, plus another conference of similar size shutting down in one year. So it's clear, we need to figure out how to do ministry for a new generation of people. And that's part of what we've been talking about for the past several weeks. And we have to do this in the midst of what are some unique struggles in our church right now. I mean, we are a big tent church. That's one of the strengths of the United Methodist Church is that we historically have been able to remain united, though we have a broad spectrum of theological beliefs. But it gets hard sometimes around particular theological um, debates. One of the greatest right now, of course, is around human sexuality, Every four years, the bishop pointed out, in recent years we've debated the role of GLBTQ people within the United Methodist Church, and we've talked about possible changes to the book of discipline to reflect more inclusion. Every time, the bishop says, at general conference, we end up doing one another harm. This past general conference, before things could get too out of hand, a person stepped up to the mic and they asked the bishop's if they would come together and discuss a way forward, rather than having the entire conference heatedly debate this issue again. So the Council of Bishops, they got together, they went away for a little while, and then they came back and presented a statement of unity that they had adopted. The general conference said, well, that's great, but we really need for y'all to lead us in this process. How are we going to remain united and navigate this issue that seems to be more and more dividing us? So they asked the Council of Bishops if they would please form a team so that they could navigate a way forward on behalf of the conference and come back at a special called conference at the halfway point, two years um, from the last conference, to present their findings. The bishop said that they have gathered together a group of very diverse people who are, a part of this, um, who are a part of this council of bishops, and that given the meetings they've had so far, they've met several times already, had lots of discussion, he has a lot of hope. Their vision is that they would figure out how to find a way forward that holds in tension the unity that we all desire, um, but also honors the diversity of theological understanding around human sexuality. So in early 2019, there's expected to be a called general conference. Not exactly sure how long that conference will be. In the time that they've been together, they've been learning um, about each other getting to know each other. They've been learning from our history. They've been learning from other denominations. They've been learning from theologians and pastors and people among the laity and writers on this topic. And at this called conference in 2019, what they envision is presenting a template for what the United Methodist Church needs to address around these divisive issues. And what potential changes might need to happen in terms of the way annual conferences are structured, the way apportionments are handled, the ways we do ministry. It keeps in mind, he said, they try to keep very prominently in their minds that people on both sides of this issue come from very deep theological conviction and a passion for Christ. He commented that the commission's task seems overwhelming, but if he, he says if it was all up to the people who have been gathered together in this council of bishops, this diverse group of people, if it was all up to them, he said he has great hope because so far they've been working really well together, being very respectful of one another, listening with their hearts open. And he's hoping that it will create an environment where there are, where we are able to hold more expressions of the United Methodist Church than we do now. He said he's a little bit discouraged, though, because it seems like outside of this council of bishops and the church, more broadly speaking, in the United States, that people on both sides of the issue are already planning the funeral of the United Methodist Church. So he hopes that we, as individual congregations, as local communities of faith, that we would be open, that we would keep our hearts and minds open to what the Holy Spirit can do in and through and among us, remembering that we are unified because we all belong to Christ, and we are all saints and sinners. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew. He knew that both wheat and weeds grew in the hearts of each of his disciples. Jesus, as he was reported telling this parable, he was moving toward his own time of trial in the company of a group of disciples whose hearts sprouted both wheat and weeds. Those disciples in the years following Jesus' death and resurrection, as they were sorting out who was good, who was evil, they need only remember their own fickleness and betrayal to remember that they should not be rushing to judgment before the story is over. And I think we all would do well to remember that. All of us, saints and sinners, good and bad, in each one of us. The bottom line is this we are not called to focus on the identity of the enemy. If you read this parable again, you'll notice that there's not a lot of emphasis on who's good, who's bad, who's the wheat, who's the weeds. The emphasis is on how we respond to the reality that wheat and weeds grow up together in the same field. The slave's response is to get in there and yank up all the things that they see as weeds and cast them into the fire. Last week, I told you about my granddaddy who planted seven acres worth of garden every single summer. Well, even as a young kid... My granddaddy and grandmother asked me to go out into the fields and to help pick. Pick green beans, pick peas, pull potatoes. But my granddaddy never once asked me to pull weeds. He was smarter than that. (laughs) He knew that in my zeal and in my ignorance, I was very likely to pull much of what he had hoped would continue to grow. And there were some weeds that even my granddaddy left alone intentionally because they served a good purpose. Some weeds would grow up and provide shade for other plants so they wouldn't get burned up in the sun. The householder's response is that we should wait. We should live with the paradox until God's resolution. It's really hard. I find it to be really hard to wait. I get impatient. I think we all get impatient, and it's really uncomfortable to live in that tension. And so we want to bring things to a head. We want to weed out what we find undesirable. We want to determine who's in and who's out. But instead, we are called by this parable to live into what Theodore Wardlaw, who is the president of Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary, calls A holy and purposeful ambiguity. A holy and purposeful ambiguity. An ambiguity that is both wise and intentional. It's not our job to determine who's in and who's out. It's not our job to weed out the undesirables, but it's our job to imagine that all belongs to God. Patrick J. Wilson wrote in a sermon one time, Jesus did not say that the kingdom was like a rock, fixed and solid and firm and unchanging, Jesus did not say that the kingdom was like a giant machine, that you put some things in and you get some things out and that what you get out depends upon what you put in. He said it was like an enormous tree that grows out of a tiny seed. A tree that grows so enormous that all the birds of the air can come and find shelter in its branches. Even strange little ducks like you and me. He said that God was like a housewife who puts just a smidgen of yeast in the three measures of flour, and that yeast yields its life into the whole batch of dough. That is the way that the kingdom is, growing from the very beginning into all that God has intended. From the foundation of the world, the very first moment of creation it is the kingdom that has been on God's mind. And God is infinitely patient as it grows. Bishop Schneezy insists that we need congregations who are clear about their mission and that are hopeful about their future. And we can be hopeful because God is infinitely patient. And Jesus Christ is our reaper. It's not our job to determine who's in and who's out. We are not called to judge. It's dangerous business making assumptions about who's righteous and who's unrighteous, who's good, who's evil, who's saint, who's sinner. And it's not up to us to weed out those who we think are undesirable. Our job is to imagine that all are desired by God. And it's our job to learn to live and love and even grow together. Trusting judgment to the one who has infinite patience and who has a miraculous plan for salvation. Trusting that the Holy Spirit blows even now in this place in and through and among all of us. And that the Holy Spirit will burn away the weeds that reside in all our hearts so that wheat might grow full and strong and the kingdom would be fulfilled. Let's pray. Loving and gracious God, we are so grateful for your infinite, patient love, and for your Son, our judge, our reaper, the one in whom we can trust our whole selves. Lord, as we offer all that we are and all that we have to you, We pray that you would help us to remain focused on you, focused on the love that you give each and every one of us to share with one another, and that as we live and breathe and grow and work and are in ministry together, that we would grow in Christ. Amen.